It's awesome to be here in this house, and we're celebrating, we've been celebrating Christmas all month, and we've been going through this series called The the Cast of Christmas, and it's been an amazing series, and so it's so good to just focus. I love this month of December that we just put our focus on Jesus, right? That's what it's all about, amen. Um, PW, thank you once again. It was amazing. Elias, thank you for the percussion. That's amazing. Awesome. We have a great team. Every one of our team members are amazing. Um, today we're going to be talking about, in this cast, the shepherds, and we're going to be talking about hope and joy. And so um, today we're going to begin by talking about some gifts from Christmas's past. Some of those, um, some of those lengths that we as parents went to to get just the right gift for our kid, right? We want that special gift. And that, that gift that we know is going to just light them up on Christmas morning, right? Any parents out there looking for that perfect gift? So some of those gifts from Christmas past, um, if you had children in the 90s, you may remember uh, there was one gift that parents were looking for that year, and it was this gift, the Tickle Me Elmo. Anybody remember that? Anyone? All right. Parents, uh, there were rumors that parents paid thousands of dollars just to get that gift, to ensure they had that gift for their child on Christmas morning. Or maybe if you had a little girl in the 2000s like I did, there was one gift you were looking for, and it was the Bratz doll, right? Anybody receive a Bratz doll? All right, you're giving away your, your timeline there, your age. That was, I mean, nothing else says ghetto couture like a Bratz doll, right? I mean, that, that just is all there. That's amazing. And you can even still get the Bratz collection, and today, for over $200, you can get that Bratz collection. Well, maybe a little bit more recently, you searched the dark web for a Zuzu pet. And you, if you looked for that, you would have paid three times the retail price. I think these are still a pretty hot item. I don't know. Are they? <laughs> Maybe they're still a hot item, but parents were looking for the Zuzu pet. And finally, if you want to go way back, Christmas is way back, there was something that the children of the 70s were clamoring to get, and they were looking for pet rocks. Pet rocks. Now, if you never have heard of a pet rock, this is how it came. It came in a box with breathing holes all around it, and it came with a little bit of straw, but that's it. It was just a rock. That was it. And I remember I wanted one of these because everybody was getting one of those, but my parents were too smart for that. They, were, they said to me, we're not going to waste money on that piece of junk, so I didn't get a pet rock. But that was what was that was what was the hottest toy of that time in the 70s. And so the upside was, you know, it, it was, you know, you never would have to flush it down the toilet once it died. But the downside was definitely, that's all it did. It was just sat there. 
So this year, what are parents looking to? What are millions of parents trying to do to find find that hottest that item, the hottest item, that perfect gift for their children? Because they want to inspire joy. And sometimes we can get desperate for joy, desperate for joy. A small boy was writing a letter to God about the Christmas presents he wanted. I've been good for six months now, he wrote. After a moment's reflection, he crossed out six months and wrote three. After a pause, he changed that to two weeks. There was another pause and more racing. Finally, the boy got up from the table and went over to the little nativity scene that had the figures of Mary and Joseph. He picked up the figure of Mary and went back to his writing and started again. Dear God, if you ever want to see your mom again, (laughs) there's more than one way to get that gift. (laughs) Well, I want to talk about the reason for hope, the foundation for joy. And the first Christmas present, it was significantly different than the gifts of today. Let's read what the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. There were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then in verses 16 and 18, Luke writes this. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The problem with toys and things that we look to to bring us joy is that there comes to a place and a time where there are diminishing results. There's a diminishing return when we look to things, to people, and to items to bring us joy. Even if you had an incredible once-in-a-lifetime experience, you can only hold on to that experience for so long. Let's say you jumped out of a plane, and it was the most exhilarating thing of your life. For the next few days, just thinking about the jump brings a level of adrenaline and delight. But soon the memory doesn't hold the same power. What's more, the next jump doesn't quite do what the first jump did. After a while, you find jumping doesn't do much of anything for you at all. In the same way, if you were given an amazing gift, it only brings happiness for so long. Eventually, it just becomes part of the mass of stuff that we own. But the first Christmas was a different sort of gift altogether. And the shepherds show us that encountering Jesus has a different sort of experience. It made such an impact 
impact on them that they had to spread the word to everybody that they came in contact with. And then three decades later, Jesus says this. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. In John 15, verse 11, we all taste hope. We experience joy. How many would say that our joy is complete? There are 250 passages in the NIV, New International Version, that talks about, the, the Bible talks about joy, and it encourages joy. In fact, it commands us to have joy two times more than even repentance, even commanding us to repent. And we aren't just given the permission to laugh and, and to have fun times, but God wants us to be constantly overflowing with joy in our lives. And the shepherds experienced that. Joy was a result of them first hearing about Jesus, and then when they saw Jesus, they met him and they encountered him. And, and joy begins for us in just the same way. The foundation of joy is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's coming to hear about him. And then it's coming to meeting him and experiencing him. Because that foundation with Jesus is a lasting foundation. Very few things are going to last forever. But meeting Jesus never stops impacting our life. It never stops shaping us. It never stops transforming us. And it will constantly give us new opportunities for hope and joy. So with that foundation, let's zero in on what those numerous 250 times, those 250 passages say about joy. If we're going to walk in this joy that God has for us, we need to pay attention. But the Bible comes to this fact that it's not only a state of joy, but embracing joy has little to do with what we go through or the experiences or circumstances of our everyday life. Joy, biblical joy, is more of a mindset. It's actually a posture for living. It's a posture for living. It's a state. Listen to me. It's a state of being. It's a posture of being. And it's more than simply a feeling or a result or end result. Joy, biblical joy is much more than that. So let's talk about that. In our next point, it's embracing the hope and joy that have been given. The Apostle Paul demonstrates this clearly in Philippians 4, 4 and 5. And you've heard this verse. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. When we walk in joy and hope, we get a chance to choose to rejoice. Hear that. It's a chance to choose to rejoice. Because biblical joy isn't connected much with circumstances. It's connected to a decision. In fact, one of the keys to a life of joy is to rejoice even when the circumstances are disappointing or even painful. Let's take the example of a prophet of God. His name is Habakkuk. 
And when the prophet Habakkuk wrote the book of Habakkuk, it was in a time of, of disarray. Because the, the kingdom of Judah, they had gone away from God's ways and they were worshiping idols and they, they, had, they had gone in their own way. And then there was an impending invasion of the Babylonians that was coming, that was a threat to them. And so Habakkuk, he writes the book of Habakkuk in these conditions. He writes in the most unfavorable of times. And he writes a prayer. At the end of the book of Habakkuk, he writes this prayer. And as I read this prayer, keep mindful of his condition, but his words. Keep this in mind as I read this. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18. It says this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. There's not much more that could be going wrong in Habakkuk's life. And yet, Habakkuk chooses to rejoice. It blows my mind. It's crazy that even in the most adverse of circumstances, we can choose a joy that is beyond any earthly joy that we face in this world. And the Hebrew word for joy in this passage It means literally to spin around with joy, to jump for joy. And that's amazing. But it it gives us a clear understanding that our source of joy is not circumstance, but our source of joy is God. Our source of joy is God. Because normally we feel happy when things are happy around us. We feel joy and we want to rejoice when our prospects look good. But the Bible says that's fine, but actually it works the other way around. You start with rejoicing and then you feel joy. And like the shepherds, we have reason to rejoice because Christ has come. He has come and he is the foundation of joy. So let me give you a practical example. I don't think anybody, not one of us in this room, likes the feeling of embarrassment or to be embarrassed. When we make a mistake or we do something foolish, we don't like to feel dumb. And when that feeling comes, we'll do anything to, like, push it away, forget it, that was not me, um, that I, I, I'm going to hide under this rock right here. We want to replace it. We even want to defend against it. But let me give you something practical. The next time you feel embarrassed or when embarrassment comes, don't expect to enjoy it, but try to rejoice in it. Because we can actually thank God in the, even in the miserable feeling of embarrassment because it gives our ego a chance to be contained, challenged, or even broken. Isn't that why we feel embarrassed in the first place? Because our ego has been challenged. 
So instead of trying to run away from the feeling, instead of just pushing it down, try giving thanks and praise to God. God, I thank you that I have a chance to be humbled right now. That in the midst of this, my ego and my pride is being challenged. And I thank you, God, that right now you're working in this horrible feeling I'm feeling. Sounds crazy, right? But God can work that in us. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, we can say, God, I yield this to you. I yield this to you. And I ask that you give me peace in the midst of this feeling, and I'm going to rejoice. And that can give us a new perspective. We can go through all sorts of failures because now we have a new perspective. And maybe for the first time in that situation, we can rejoice. We can even give thanks. It's something like what Coach John McKay of USC said to his team after they had had, they had been humiliated by losing 51 to 0 to Notre Dame. McKay came into the locker room and saw a group of beaten, worn out, and thoroughly depressed young football players who were not accustomed to losing. He stood up on a bench and said, Men, let's keep this in perspective. There are 800 million people in China who don't even know that this game was played. That's what you call a change of perspective. I was talking to a student from our, this Dinuba campus, and they were, they were supposed to, this past week, they were supposed to go to lunch with someone. And after some time of waiting, they realized that they had a no-show for lunch. But they said, they, they said to themselves, I could go back to campus and be miserable, And they thought about it for a while, and they said, no. So instead, they went to Wimpy's and enjoyed a whole meal all by themselves. (laughs) That's what we call flipping the script, flipping the circumstances, and changing the perspective. And I want us to keep this in mind and to understand this, because it's about changing our mindset in circumstances. It's about replacing the old tapes in our, in our head about how our worth and how our joy comes from experiences or failures. It doesn't. It doesn't. And like Habakkuk, we get to, in the midst of adverse circumstances, say, I will yet rejoice. We can lift up a yet praise. We can lift up a yet praise, even in the midst of all that we go through. Even in the midst of struggle, we can choose to have joy. Hope and joy that can't be taken away. Hope and joy that can't be taken away. Do you remember that famous passage from Romans 8.28? It says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. All things. All things is not some things. All things is not most things. All things is all things. In all things, 
we can understand that God is working on our behalf. But instead of embracing hope and joy, often we get into the habit of complaining. We start complaining about all things instead of believing that God is working all things out for our good. And understand this, that complaining is a joy stealer. It's a joy stealer. We forget to be thankful. We forget to worship. We forget to praise. And guess what? All our joy, all our hope evaporates. This past week, my husband brought home some donuts. (laughs) And as I looked into the box, as I looked into the box, all my hopes were dashed because I said, where is my chocolate old-fashioned donut? It was not in the box. That's my favorite donut. And instead of being grateful that my husband went out of his way to bring home that box of lusciousness, right? I started to complain. But then I was quickly snapped back because I've been preparing for the message all week, right? (laughs) And the Word has a way of keeping us in check. The Word will put you into check. And so... I said, okay, I'm not going to complain. So I got another donut and enjoyed that one just as much as I would have enjoyed the other one. And, and that one, it was old-fashioned one. It wasn't the chocolate one that I love, but it was still old-fashioned one. And what had happened in the box, the maple bar got smashed to that one. So I enjoyed that one plus a little bonus of the maple, <laughs> that sugary lusciousness I enjoyed. So no matter what we go through, we can be absolutely certain that one of two things is happening. Either God sent it or God is going to use it. And sometimes God sends things that we don't quite ask for. And other times when there is tragedy and and pain involved, those are things that God doesn't send. But you who love God, you can know for sure that somehow, some way, that God is working it out for your good. That He is working it out for your good. And in that, we can always have hope. We can always have joy. So it brings us to our final point. Don't settle for anything less. There's, a, there's another undeniable theme connected to continued hope and joy that's found in the Bible. And it's most clearly seen in the Psalm of David, Psalm 51. And this is a powerful passage where David comes. He is writing um, this, this psalm after he has sinned, after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he's even arranged for her husband to be killed. And David writes this psalm. And he says in verses 3 and 4, he says, My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then there is a high point of the prayer in verse 12. And David writes this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. We notice that the first thing about David's prayer is that he comes back into alignment with God. 
He comes back into alignment with God's truth and God's word. And one thing that we, we have to understand is that even though sin will bring us temporary pleasure, it'll bring us at times momentary relief and even a little happiness. But in, but we all know how it will end. It will steal our hope and our joy. And when we're found in that place, we are to do what David did. We are to realign ourselves with God's truth. David wrote these words in Psalm 19, verse 8. It's, he wrote, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Do you want your eyes to light up? Do you want to come alive? Do you want to have unshakable hope and joy? Then do things God's way. Do things God's way. Realign with him and his word. And I believe for some of us in this room today, this is the point for you this morning. This is the point. You have been trying to gain joy and peace and happiness through your own way, through your own means. You've been looking to people and you've been looking to events and you've been looking to things to satisfy the ache in your soul. But there is only one foundation. There is only one true foundation. And that is the foundation that Jesus Christ, his ways, his purposes are the only perfect thing. C.S. Lewis, a theologian, the writer, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and a host of other books, he, he writes this awesome quote, and it's a, something that he wrote in his book, The Weight of Glory. And I want you to follow along as I read this. Pay attention right now. It would seem that our God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. That just cuts to the core of us. Because sometimes we settle for far less than what God has for us. We settle for the making mud pies in the dirt. When God has given us an elevated position of true joy, true and lasting hope. Lewis makes a powerful connection with with David's words in Psalm 51, verse 12, that we already read. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And I think we far too easily forget what the angel announced when he, when they came to the shepherds in that night, the truth is that there is an eternal life and in the eternal life alone that is found in Jesus, that is reason to always rejoice. That is reason to always rejoice because no matter what we go through, we can factually declare, yes, I'm going through this, but one day I will be in heaven with Jesus. I will be in heaven with Jesus, and heaven is a reality to me, no matter what I go through. 
Winter Pitts, a wife, a mother, an author, and the founder of For Girls Like You, a ministry about raising young girls for God. The ministry came out of her and her husband, Jonathan's, 15 years of experience of having four girls of their own. And, and you see the picture, winter is in the middle. In 2018, they moved to the Tennessee area from Texas for Jonathan to take on a pastoral position. They had been there for just two weeks when on July 24th, 2018, Winter, not feeling well, went upstairs to lie down. That evening, she died within 30 minutes after going into cardiac arrest. She had no prior health issues. She was the 38-year-old niece of Dr. Tony Evans. He's a well-known, respected Bible teacher, pastor, and cousin of of Priscilla Schreier. Jonathan, her husband, wrote in his post, Last night, winter was taken from us suddenly. But we know that she was only taken into the hands of God, of the God that she loved with her whole heart. Though we grieve, we are doing so with hope. And though we hurt, her life and her legacy will continue on through each one of us, especially my four daughters. Thank you for your prayer, specifically for them. Kirk Franklin knew both Winter and Jonathan Pitts. And he struggled with the circumstance of her sudden death. And so, as a result, he wrote a song. And it's on his latest album of Long Live Love. This song is called Winter's Promise. And I want you just to focus. As we play this song, I want you to listen to the words, and I want you to take in the hope that is found in it. And and incidentally, at the end of the song is Winter's oldest daughter, Alina, talking.
to be something more than just this earth. If you're putting all your hope into things, into people that are temporary, that's not enough. It's not enough. There has to be something that's more real than this life. And the good news today is that there's something more real than this life. And that's the reality of heaven. And in that reality, we can know that we can have true and lasting peace and joy. You know, we're not promised tomorrow, but we are promised eternity. And that's an amazing truth. Life is too short to just live it in our own means. Don't settle for just making mud pies in the slum. Look beyond that. God offers a holiday at sea. Something so much greater than what we can attain. And salvation is for today. Salvation is for today. Align yourself with the Lord. Align yourself with His ways today. And know that there is something greater. For salvation means heaven, but salvation is for today. When we are saved, we know that we are a child of God. We know that we are part of His family. We know that if we're a child of God, then we're always on God's mind. And He is always looking out for our behalf. We know that we have access into the presence of God. And that His Spirit is upon us to give us insight, to give us comfort, to give us strength in every circumstance. Know that that salvation is a reality for today. Years ago, an interesting sign was seen hanging in a store window during the Christmas season. The original message stated, let's make this the best Christmas ever. Underneath, some perceptive person had scribbled a legitimate question. How will we top the first one? If we're not careful, we'll settle for less. Joy is stolen when we forget what the first Christmas meant. When we forget that. And life can be hard, but we know the secret that the shepherds held. That the Savior has come. And in Him, we win. Jesus said this, If the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. So let's live like we're saved. Let's live like we're loved. Let's live like we are free this Christmas. And every chance that we get to rejoice and to praise our King, let's take it. Let's do it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this word today. And we thank you, Lord, that you have brought us on a journey, Lord, with you this morning. From the beginning of service, Lord, until this moment. And Lord, we thank you for this moment. And Lord, I just hear, Lord, you saying that you want to be the joy of your people. You want to be the joy of your people today. That though whatever they may be facing, oh God, in spite of that, they can rejoice. We can rejoice. 
though there is pressure around us, though there are circumstances that we wouldn't choose or desire, but God, in the midst of the circumstances, you are still Lord. You are still Lord. Rejoice all the earth. Let heaven and earth rejoice. For the Savior has come. The King has come. And He is here in this place this morning. And I don't know if today you just want to come and worship Him. If you just want to come and kneel down at the altar and say, Jesus, fill me with your joy today. I need you. I'm desperate for joy. And I just want to worship you. I realize that you are the only true foundation for joy. You are the only unwavering hope that I have. And today I choose to rejoice in you. Fill me with your joy that is my strength. Fill me this morning. And this morning I'm going to invite you to come. This altar is open and we have individuals who will pray with you and who will just come and lift up the burden that you've been carrying. Lay hands on you and bless you. Right now, this time, it's just time to just worship God and to honor Him. Come on, take a step. God, we worship you. We worship you, King.